This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au My name's Arnaldo and um, I want to welcome you uh, <laughs> to Anchor Church. I'm part of the Stanmore Gospel community. Uh, exactly. And um, I just want to uh, th- uh, just uh, express a really warm welcome uh, to everyone here um, and I'm just excited to be opening up this uh, part of the word particularly. Uh, so I'm excited for today. I want to just plug again the triplets training that Hope will be running at 1.30 today in the terminal. Uh, it's going to be a transformative time. It's going to be a time where we uh, not only receive a vision for what God wants to do in our lives, but the tools to do that. And so often we get a vision, but we don't know how to do something. We may want to do something, but we don't have the tools to do it. And, and today is going to be an equipping for you. It's going to be a retooling uh, so that we can do life well and really uh, uh, foster this, this culture of God doing something so deep within us that it, it ripples throughout all of our lives. And so I, I'm excited to commend that to you. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to read, uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to preach. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, it'll be behind me as well on the screen. Uh, but if you have one, you can follow along with me. Acts chapter 9. And this is the word of the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly... A light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but, not, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately 
he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, it is, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, Dr. Luke was, had the means by which to record all of these things for us and for your people throughout the ages. So we come humbly now to your word. And we ask, Lord, I ask now that you would help me to forget the things that would be uh, that wouldn't be helpful for your people today, but help me to remember the things, Lord, that will bring life out of a situation of death, that we would bring encouragement out of a situation of discouragement, that we would bind and heal, Lord, in the name of Jesus, those who are far from you, that we would see many come and have this experience today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, stories are an incredible powerful tool in our culture. And stories are particularly powerful now, especially because any truth claim, anything that we say may be true is, is all automatically tinged with skepticism. We, we live in an age of doubt. And so stories in particular, stories of transformation in particular, are, are rampant in our culture. All the way from kids' stories, like the, the little hungry, the very hungry caterpillar, right? Where there's this little chubby caterpillar, and he eats, and he eats, gets a stomachache, he eats a leaf on Saturday, he becomes a butterfly. I mean, even in our kids' stories, we find stories of transformation. All the way from that to it's littered all of our TV, whether it's a, an abandoned warehouse that's going to be turned into a beautiful complex, whether it's, it's you know, a, 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 um, uh, some, some groceries that are going to be turned into a beautiful meal. Everything screams to us. There's something about us that loves stories of transformation from kids' books to television to our Twitter feed to our Facebook page. Transformation is everywhere. But the question is this. The question is, what does it take to be truly transformed? What does that actually mean? I mean, everything is promising us transformation. So what do we normally do? Some of us, you know, we go eat, pray, live. We, we go to the Himalayan mountains. We find a guru. We try to get some secret knowledge of life, the, the secret of happiness. You know, some of us read books, try to find out, you know, uh, information there. We, 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 we go across the world. We go and travel to try to find the secret of happiness. Now, if you have to go to work on Monday... 
you can't do that. But the next best, the next best thing is just Google. So I Googled it. People have to work. That's all we got is Google. And I Googled it. And I, I, I typed in, how can I be transformed? I want to be transformed. And it gave me four steps. I mean, there were tons of books and articles and blogs on how to transform yourself. But I found this one, and it was attractive because this was the title. How to change yourself completely. How to change yourself completely. Four easy steps, guys. You ready? All right. This is free. I did all the research for you. Uh, step one is just understand the change. You know, you, you need to have a vision of the ideal you, of who you want to be. So you need to go by yourself and figure out who you're going to be. Step two is just to find some good role models. Find some cheerleaders who can come around you and just cheer you on and say, yes, you're doing it. Make tangible goals is step three, where you, you say, okay, I'm going to do X. And we all know how that goes in February by the time we pass our New Year's resolutions. And number four is evaluate your changes. And that's just code word for, for saying, you know, don't beat yourself up because you haven't done it. And as, as they stand, as these things stand, they're not, they're not terrible. They're not bad in and of themselves. But this is the problem with them, that the change in this scheme of being generates from within us. It's all about you. It's about what you think of yourself. It's about you finding some, you know, squad goals, finding a good squad around you that can just help you become who you think you need to be. It's all about you, and it's all generated from within, and this is the problem. Nothing can change. Nothing in and of itself can change. We need something from the outside. And if we're going to be everything that God has called us to be, we cannot be co-opted into that way of thinking that all we need to do is figure out who I want to be and then just do it because we all know where that leads. We all know where that leads. It leads often to frustration. It leads to depression because we haven't gotten it. Or if you do make some good strides, it leads to pride. So the question is, how can we truly change? How can we be fully, and this is the question, fully human? How can we be fully human? My goal and, and the goal of salvation, the goal of the scriptures is not to make you something else than what you are. It is to make you your true self what God has created us to be as human, as embodied, as people with flesh and blood and bone and thoughts and love. The question is, what needs to happen for that to happen? I'm just going to give you a word. It's conversion. We need to be converted. And a conversion is basically a turning around, a turning around from one direction of life and one thought pattern and one worldview to another. And what we see today and what we learn today is that what happened to Paul was that he was converted. And so Stanley Porter, who has forgotten more things that I can ever know, he says this. He says, what transformed a Jew, speaking of Paul, who persecuted Christians into perhaps the single most important follower of Jesus of his or any time, as theologian, writer, missionary, preacher, and church planter. I mean, Paul, Saul, and I'm going to, uh, let me just say, um, after this chapter, Saul is called Paul. So I'm going to go back and forth, but I'm speaking of the same person. Uh, Saul was converted to Christ. But it's going to be very important for us to realize uh, one thing. 
that oftentimes when we read Acts 9 and we see Paul's conversion, we think, my conversion doesn't look like that. My, my, my path to, uh, uh, to knowing Christ and uh, coming into a relationship with him in the spirit doesn't look like that. And so we need to separate what is particular about Paul's story and what's essential about Paul's story that needs to be in all of our stories. And John Stott, uh, uh, very helpful, he says this, as we read it, that's the Acts 9, the story of Paul's conversion, however, a crucial question forms in our minds. Does Luke, who's the writer of this, intend us to regard Saul's conversion as typical of Christian conversion today or as exceptional? In order to be converted, it is not necessary for us to be struck by divine lightning or fall to the ground or hear the name, uh, our name called out in Aramaic, which is a, a dead language that they spoke uh, in the first century. And any more than it is necessary to travel to precisely the same place outside of Damascus. Nevertheless, it is clear from the rest of the New Testament that other features of Saul's conversion and commissioning are applicable to us. So what are those things? What are those things that maybe some of us are going to experience today, that some of us, uh, most of us have experienced at some point in our life. What are those elements? What are those principles? What needs to happen for us to fully understand and appreciate and move forward and mature out of our conversion? Three things that we see from the text that needs to be real and present in our life. Number one is this, encounter with Jesus, entering our darkness, and embracing the community. So number one, encounter with Jesus. Number two, entering our darkness and embracing the community. Number one, conversion. You know, when we think about conversion, it's not just about adopting a new moral framework. It's not just about saying, okay, I don't do these things now anymore, and I'm going to follow a new set of rules. And so often, that's what we think religion is. That's what we think Christianity is, that it's not, it, it's just adopting a new set of laws to live by. But it's not. It's about colliding with the truth. It's about colliding with the God who is there. And Paul, before this, he had a God of his own construction. He had a God who was strong, who provided a salvation to strong people through uh, them obeying a strong law. And therefore, he saw these group of people the way, these, 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 uh, you know, these, these rugrats, who were doing something else, and he, had, he felt like he needed to persecute them. He had extradition papers. He was following refugees of persecution to bring them back to Jerusalem to put them in jail, simply for following Jesus. And he had this God of uh, his own God, the uh, God that he constructed, and on the road to Damascus, he is collided he has a collision with truth. Now, our God in our culture is generally not going to be a legalistic, strict God. Our God is going to be more of a God of love, the one that we accept, the, the one that, whose love doesn't uh, uh, engage deeply, the one who doesn't call us to be fully and truly human, the one who is happy to just leave us where we are, forgive us of any wrongdoing that we may have done, which isn't really our fault anyway. That's the God generally that we think of in our culture, and it's a construction of ourselves. See, listen, if your God doesn't challenge you, if you agree with everything off the bat, 
then you are dealing with a God of your own construction. If you've ever seen that movie, uh, Stepford Wives, where I think it's, I think it's Stepford Wives, it a, a, a couple of renditions of it, but it, it's, it's a movie about um, these husbands in Connecticut, in America, who had these dummy wives. They, they, they made their wives dummies, where they never disagreed with them. They did everything they wanted. They never argued with them. They never had another opinion of them. And what you find, that is only possible with a mannequin. And if we have a mannequin God, who, where we pick and choose what we like of his character, what we like of his works, what we like of his words, then you're never going to have a collision with the truth. And now Paul's collision, we read in, 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 in uh, uh, verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and he was knocked off his horse. Now that may not necessarily happen with us, but we do need to have an encounter with Christ. Our encounter with Christ comes through mainly the scriptures. Now if you read the Bible from front to back, there are going to be things in there. It's raw. It's uncomfortable. It's culturally distant. It's hard to understand sometimes. And oftentimes what happens is when we find something that doesn't taste okay on our cultural palate, we throw it all away. Because what we want is a God that looks like us. And what I'm saying is that true transformation comes when we begin to look like him. When we take him at his word, when we open up the scriptures and we sit under the authority of the Bible, his word to us, he shows us himself. So we may not be struck. I mean, I'm not riding a horse normally anyway. I'm not going to be galloping down Parramatta Road, you know. But you, we need an encounter with the true Christ if we're going to ever become fully and truly human. Christ's presence is mediated to us. It comes to us mainly through the scriptures. And we're nurtured in the community, which we'll see in a minute. So we, have, we need to have an encounter with Christ. Number two is that we need to enter our darkness. Paul was blinded. Now, there are a million, you know, uh, uh, scholars who, who have different ideas about why that happened. But this is why I, I think this is a safe assumption here. Paul was blinded to get away from all of his distractions, to, to show him that while he thought he saw the scriptures and the God of the scriptures, he was actually blind. And in his situation, he needed that. He needed to enter into his darkness. This is what the scriptures, this is what the Bible says of us, of me, and of you before we have an encounter with Christ. It says this, Ephesians 5, 8. Four. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Colossians, excuse me, 113 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1, uh, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. Listen to this. This is, this is a word to you, Christian. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, listen, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And finally, 1 John 2, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, if you claim that you are a disciple of Jesus and you are a lover of Jesus and you seek to be salt and light in this world and you hate your brother or sister, 
is still in darkness. When we encounter truth, we realize one thing, that everything before them was birthed out of death and was going towards death. And until we can humble ourselves and say, I was wrong. I was wrong about the world. I was wrong in thinking that I was the center of the world. I was wrong in thinking that I can find my fullest and final happiness in the things of the world. I was wrong. And if you're in a relationship, you know how powerful this can be. The, 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 the floodgates open of communication when you finally admit, I, I had this wrong. And Paul, in his darkness, was not distracted for three days, didn't eat, didn't drink. And he had to rethink everything. Everything. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee. And in Philippians 3, he talks about his credentials. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, right? Like this dude, if he, he was lit in the religious world, in the religious community, right? He was it. And he says all of that in Philippians 3 was rubbish, refuge, refuse. It was, not, it was dung compared to the immeasurable worth of knowing who Jesus Christ really is, who God really is. And some of us here are riding on the coattails of religion. Some of us are here and we're thinking, because I do the right things, I'm okay. Some of us think, because I'm not doing the right things, I'm okay. They work the same way. Our hearts are the same. And until, until we realize, until we have a collision with who Jesus really is, and the truth of who he is. And the magnificence and the beauty of who he is. We're never going to be able to enter our darkness. And until we do that, we cannot become fully human. We cannot begin the road to become fully human. So Paul had to rethink everything in his darkness. And sometimes God's going to send darkness our way. He's going to send darkness your way. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Oftentimes you hear of people who uh, had no thought, just like Paul, no thought whatsoever about Jesus. And oftentimes uh, uh, what happens, suffering comes into our lives and it helps us to focus on what matters. It brings us to this existential crisis where we have to ask, what's the point of it all? What's the point of it all? And Paul realizes that everything Jesus said, everything he did, he had to rework all his knowledge of the Old Testament and see and point that actually this is all about him. But finally, we embrace the community. And what we notice from the text is that Paul doesn't become a lone ranger. You know, there's, there's, there's something in the past, I don't know, maybe uh, 30, 40, 50 years that we've been hearing that you can be a Christian outside of the church. And now surely we, we never want to say that in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, you have to join a church first. But once you do, it is impossible to be nurtured in that outside of the church. You know, there's this old saying from the third century that's been taken, it, it, it's been abused a bit. But at its heart, 
This is what, you know, one of the church fathers, Cyprian, says. He says that one cannot have God as his father if he doesn't have the church as his mother. And in the church, in community, in family, we are nurtured. We are loved. We're held accountable. We become more like him, which is to say we become more human. Which is to say we become more human. Verse 17, it says this. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, that Saul, brother Saul, brother Saul, brother Saul, let me read to you verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and that, those words there, it, it's supposed to conjure up this imagery of a, of, a, of a wild warthog, of a wild pig ravaging a vineyard. It's animalistic. It's visceral, that word that's used there. You get that? And then, Brother Saul. Wow. I mean, Ananias. He was scared because a couple of verses earlier, he, he, he spoke back to Jesus. He spoke back to God. He's like, oh, hold on. Uh, is this the same Saul? Can I, I mean, can I check a social security number? Can I, is this the same one? You're telling me to go to him? The one who was on the way to arrest Christians. The one who was on the way to bring back refugee Christians so that they can be jailed in Jerusalem. That one? And then he goes to him and he says, Brother Saul, even Saul, someone like Saul, someone like Paul, could not do it on his own. He was embraced into the community. From verse 26 again. And when... He had come to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples. I can imagine that. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Ananias and Barnabas. That's going to be my new kids' names if I have some. I'll try. But Barnabas took him. And, and Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. From wild ravaging beast to preacher of the gospel in community. And if we ever hope... You know, we, I trust that we all have within us, whether we are believers or not, we have some aspirations to see this world made whole, to see us made whole. We are all incredibly broken. I don't, I'm not saying that because I know you, although I know some of you, but I know what you are, and I know myself. We are all incredibly broken, and we all have this desire, this intense desire to see things made well made whole. The question is, how do we get there? And it is by coming to Jesus. Jesus did not come to save our souls and bring us to another plane. Jesus didn't come so that we can be replaced. Jesus came so that we could be filled Jesus came so that our, our true end, our true humanity will be met in him. That's why he came. 
Now, we can all agree that Paul's conversion is radical. It's radical. It's strange. It's, it's, it's just, it's crazy. And, and I, I don't know if anyone here has ever experienced something to that level. I don't think so. But the question is, how do we get in on this? How do you get in on this? If you don't call yourself a Christian, now let me just say, state really clearly, I would love for you to become a Christian today. I would love for you to start the path of becoming truly and fully human in Christ. Because that's where life is. And we do that as we encounter Christ, the truth, the life, the way. As we enter our darkness and admit our fault, admit that we were wrong, rethink everything. And do that in the light of community. But I feel it's important to, to end here. This, this passage, Acts 9, it seems like it's sudden. It seems like it just happened out of the blue, out of nowhere. But as we read on in the book of Acts, we find that Paul retells his conversion story two times. One to, to Felix and one to King Agrippa at the end of, of the book of Acts. One in chapter 24 and the other in chapter 26. And there's this one throwaway line that opened everything for me. I should share that with you. Acts 26, 14 says this. And when we had fallen to the ground, now this is Paul speaking. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kink against the goads. What? What's a goad? What's that? Can I get another translation on this? Or now, a goad was a stick that shepherds used with. Uh, it was a pointy stick that shepherds would use to guide their sheep. Now, sheep were dumb, right? Sheep, you know, there'd be a cliff, and they'll they're just happy, you know just heading towards that cliff. And, and what the shepherd would have to do is he'd have to poke them with the goats to lead them to life. So I wonder what that means. I wonder what the goats in Paul's life were. He was a contemporary of Jesus, so he lived in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem during the time maybe he had seen him preach. His conscience would have been killing him for what he was doing. And I imagine if the greatest goad in the side of Paul was seeing Stephen's face light up like an angel and pray and say the same words that Jesus, before he died, prayed, saying, forgive them. Acts chapter 8 ends with Paul looking on as Stephen is brutally murdered for his faith. And I wonder if that was just prodding him. And it's interesting to note that what often happens when we are doubting, what often happens when, when our whole structure of being is, is, is threatened, we fight. John Stott says this about, about Paul here. Saul could not suppress the witness of Stephen. There was something inexplicable about those Christians, something supernatural, something which spoke of the divine power of Jesus. The, listen to this. The very fanaticism of Saul's persecution 
betrayed his own inner uneasiness because fanaticism is only found, wrote John, in individuals who are compensating secret doubts. So the question is for you, are you compensating secret doubts? What are you kicking against? Maybe you've been around here for a while, maybe you know some Christians, and you've been kicking against the goads, you've been kicking against the reality that Jesus is furiously pursuing you. And I can say that with a clear conscience because his heart is to pursue you. I don't have to figure out who you are to know that Jesus has come and died on the cross, lived the perfect life that we could never live. I mean, how frustrating would have that been for his brothers and sisters? This guy's perfect. Who can say we've been perfect in the last hour? In our thoughts, our deeds, what we should have done, what we shouldn't have done. And he's pursuing you. You may be galloping down the road. Life is just going well for you. But let me tell you this. And let me just give you this to take with you. That when those goads come and when your, your heart is pulled in the direction of Christ, stop kicking. Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick, isn't it? It's hard for you to suppress my pursuit of you, my pursuit of you. So I invite you, if you don't know Jesus as your friend, as your lover, as your brother, as your treasure, as your all, come. He's waiting. He has done everything so that you can be everything that he is, that he came. He was fully human. And his vision for us is not to be some disembodied souls, but really to reclaim everything that sin has ravaged. The same way that Paul was ravaging the church is the same way that sin ravages our world and our hearts. And I invite you now, to join the only way, the only place where that ravaging can stop and healing can begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you have given us this record of Paul, a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians. And so, Lord, this hope for us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, now that you would blow through this place and that people who are far from you, who are still in darkness, would be brought to the light and would find healing and hope and meaning that no suffering can take away, that no pain can take away, that no loss can take away. May we find our security in you, Jesus. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.